You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 102 covering The Drumhead and Half-O-Life with Andy Fleck. Hello, friends. Hi, everybody. We're back, and our pal Bruton Andy is here with us this time. How's it going, folks? Yeah. He he has not been here since uh, what we did the 2009 Star Trek movie. Right? It's been a long time. Yep. Oh God, that has been a while. Yeah, it has. A year ago, something like that. Good to have you back. Glad yeah. to be here. Um, and this week we are covering what the hell are we covering? I don't remember. I just watched the Drumhead the and Half a Life. That's the ones. <laughs> Those are the fellows. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm uh, on top of things. Yes. Wait, what? That came. I know. Right. Yeah. I was surprised too. Well, happens sometimes, I suppose. Well, All right. Nice. Well, the drumhead is mine, so let's talk about that. By which I yes. mean, let me talk about that and you guys be quiet. Here we go. So the Enterprise welcomes the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. Wait, I mean, Admiral Nora Satie, played by Gene Simmons, who looks very different out of his kiss makeup. Oh. It's not him. It's a different Gene Simmons, a lady whom Wikipedia describes as a well-spoken young starlet in the 40s, which makes her Elmer Fudd speech impediment all the more baffling. Satie is here to investigate an incident in the engine womb where some kind of warp thingy got sabotaged. She suspects a Klingon-Womulan alliance of some kind, and a Klingon scientist who'd been working on the Enterprise is called in for questioning. I'm not entirely clear why the first question isn't, the Klingons have scientists? But Worf is all business on this one. The Klingon was stealing schematics, as it turns out, using a very cool device that stores secrets in your blood. Maybe that's what turns Klingon blood purple. All those political guys on the ship in Star Trek VI were full of blood secrets. The questioning continues, first with Dr. Quetcher, then to Simon Tarsus, the medical woman who's been administering the Klingon's injections. Satie's Betazoid aide senses that Tarsus is lying about something, and as we all know, Betazoid senses are absolutely flawless, so Tarsus is put under observation. Meanwhile, down in engineering, Data and Geordi in the morning discover that the warp thingy may not have failed due to sabotage at all. But Satie and her Betazoid have a taste for blood, and like the legal sharks that they are, they must continue to move forward in their hunt for the conspirators. So Satie invites an audience of spectators to witness the continuing persecution of Tarsus. Now we're in a courtroom, or something closely resembling one, and Picard has been gradually backed into a corner with all this witch hunt nonsense. Courtroom. Indignant Picard. Thirty minutes left in the episode. This is like one of those situations where Kirk is surrounded by Klingons with absolutely no way out. You know he's going to win. The fun is watching how he does it. And Picard does it by making an old woman cry. But we'll get to that. During the course of the hearing, it's revealed that Crewman Tarsus's paternal grandfather was Romulan and not Vulcan as he previously claimed. So Worf gets to lead a thorough investigation, leaving me to wonder what a Klingon boner looks like and then hating myself for that. But he almost certainly has one now. Over the course of the investigation, we learn that the, of the Federation's seventh guarantee, which is apparently just the U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment. Well, Star Trek is famous for disguising real-world things as wacky sci-fi premises. I mean, they used a seven instead of a five! The hearings resume, and now Picard himself is subjected to questioning. Satie makes the fatal mistake of accusing Picard of violating the Prime Directive and challenging his loyalty over the whole Borg thing, as well as Worf's over the whole honor thing. Uh, we have a saying on my planet, and it goes like this. Oh, no, she didn't. Picard comes out swinging, stirring speeches, flawless logic, being disappointed in people. 
It's no wonder why Satie is reduced to having a histrionic breakdown in front of the entire courtroom. A different admiral, whom they apparently couldn't afford to give any speaking lines to, calls the investigation off in light of this. And Admiral Satie is presumably sent off to the Federation funny farm where should be no twibble at all. Was was that what that meant when he just sort of stands up and leaves? I guess so. I don't know. The investigation is over because apparently they didn't want to pay this guy. Yeah, I don't know. He, he stood back there looking interested, frowning a bit. Then just... Yeah, like, everyone's really, really upset when this guy shows up and then it's just like, apparently he can't talk. Right. I'm, I'm not I'm sure. I'm not sure he was actually awake at all. <laughs> that could be. Yeah, he's he's one of those people who can sleep with their eyes open. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he wakes up and is like, what's going on here? This lady's shouting, uh. I'm leaving. <laughs> This is really awkward. I better bail. This is disturbing my nap. Uh, Everyone's here. I should be able to just sleep on the bridge, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my good thing? Well, Satie makes a genuinely powerful presence. She's that same kind of older woman with complete power that Matt seems to hate. Like uh, Kai Wynn. Well, you'll get what that means when we get there. (laughs) Your kids Uh, are going to love it. Yeah. (laughs) There's also some really nice foreshadowing in the upcoming uh, Romulan Klingon thing. Yeah. I love the I sort of really... building to that that we've had over the years or over the uh, the last year. I forgot how how big that played into uh, next gen back then. Yeah, it's everything to do with the Romulans right now is sort of building to that and hinting. Yeah, and uh, the Klingon guy at the beginning is definitely like selling secrets to the Romulans, and it, it, it's all slowly building for for a series that didn't have a whole lot of continuity. There's some really nice continuity here. Well, and it's nice because it's there if you're paying attention, yeah. but it's also not distracting for someone who just comes in on this episode cold. Yeah, I mean, like, anyone could watch this episode and go, oh, yeah, Klingons and Romulans, they're always bad-guying it. Yeah, that, that's yeah, what exactly. I did, because I'm way behind on episodes. Current on podcast right. episodes, but behind on Star Trek. But see, that's why we do these summaries, because then you know exactly what's going on, and we certainly don't embellish or leave things out or anything like that. No, no not misleading at all. No. I, <laughs> like my stunning revelation last week that uh, apparently Matt lies in these things. Apparently, some of the things you've been saying are lies, man. I, I'm <laughs> what? I'm still reeling from that. That is just, uh, I don't get Gasp. it. Gasp. Yeah. Uh, so my bad thing is, uh, well, Satie's Betazoid 8 has a line when they first question Tarsus. Uh, he's not just lying. He's being, he's he's not being truthful. Uh, I can see he attended the Deanna Troy School of Logical Clarity there. There's your uh, Betazoid uh, <laughs> uh, definitions right there. Say the thing. And then say the thing that it exact that you just said slightly different. Yep, it'll make you seem smarter. I as long as no one is paying attention. It was one of those things where I had a really hard time thinking of a bad thing because this is one of those just fantastic episodes. It's it's Picard doing his great Picard thing. Mm-hmm. It's you know courtroom drama and and intrigue and you know Matt's favorite thing politics. Yep. And Star Trek. Politics. Yeah, Star Trek. Not no, really. not real politics. Christ, no. Come on. And just, I mean, a good sort of morality play where everyone more or less has a valid viewpoint, but they're in conflict, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And uh, so that was the worst bad thing I could think of, just because, uh, I don't know. Uh, so, Andy, what about you? Um, my good thing was more of a technical thing. It uh, You pointed this out. I didn't actually notice it when the credits rolled when I watched it the first time, but this was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Mm-hmm. So he does a whole sort, all sorts of cool camera stuff, and my favorite one was when uh, Captain Picard gives his speech when he's about to be questioned. Before he answers any questions, he has a speech to give, and 
the camera just starts on one side of the room and slowly just rotates around Picard and slowly zooms in on him for effect. It's a really simple camera thing to do, but it's very cinematic and it's really, really effective at making Picard's speech seem even more important. And what's nice is that works with the way Patrick Stewart's delivering it, which is he's fixed on one point. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's looking around the room, making eye, eye contact with everyone, gesturing, and the camera's moving, because I think that would be really unsettling. Yeah. But he's just yeah. kind of really upset and really focused. And no, that was great. And there's a lot of good camera stuff in this one. And I can see Frakes sort of experimenting and like they let, you know, they're letting me direct. I really want to show off what I can do. And, and it's very cool. I like it. Mm. And you can kind of see why they picked him to do a couple of the movies because, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. He, he's not a bad director. No, not at all. Plus, whenever you get an actor directing, I think not only if they're good at the technical stuff, but they're usually good at directing the actual performances, which is nice. Yeah. And there were some fucking amazing performances in this. Oh, my God. Yeah, there were. I mean, this could have gone way off the rails with the over-the-top stuff, and I think I think it was good. Well, I mean, you know, anytime you want to have Picard speechifying is just fine by me. Yeah, but, but Satie could have been, you know... Like, oh, totally. original series over the top, you know, blah, 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 crazy. And she wasn't, mm -hmm. fortunately. Yeah, if if, the, yeah. if she had been, if she had been the the way she was with her freak out at the end, mm -hmm. the, the whole, whole time. time, if she had yeah. been like that the whole time, it would have gone terribly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, they, they played it perfectly. And about halfway through the episode, everything turns and Picard realizes she's not on my side at all. She's horrible. And I thought we were partners. Yeah, I, I thought we were friends. What is this? You're crazy. And uh, but I mean then when you start seeing her as an adversary you're like these two are totally evenly matched. This is someone with power over Picard who has that same incredible presence that Patrick Stewart has and you know as a villain they're they're very evenly matched and those are the best kind of villains. Mm -hmm. She was fantastic. Uh plus she's a villain with like a legitimate viewpoint. Right, exactly. Which is always nice to see. Yeah. And it's always nice to hear from a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh and your bad thing Andy? Uh, it just kind of ends. I mean, it, Worf and uh, Captain Picard have, have a little scene at the end where they kind of put a bow on it, but it's she has this massive flip-out. Admiral Henry walks out of the room without ever saying anything. They have, like, a couple of bits about, you know, we must remain vigilant, that's the price we must pay, and then it's over. It, the, it's building to this point, it seems, and it gets there, and then, hey, bye, everybody, we're done for the week. I... I see what you're saying. Dramatically, though, I don't know where you take it from there. Yeah, it's, uh, that's that. I'll admit that, but it just seemed like it. It, it seems like it needed more of an ending than what we actually got. I, I don't know mm, how you do there, it, but it just kind of like ended. Enro mm. Henry walking out without ever saying a word, budget reasons or not, seems to, that's probably my my bigger problem with that. Yeah, she and, calls in. The guy from security, and he's like, oh, I don't want nothing to do with this no more. <laughs> well, and, and Henry shows up in the last act. So already we don't know who he is. He's only been there for five minutes. So, yeah, you're right. Him walking out doesn't really carry the weight that it should have because we don't know no. what his deal is. But, I, I, again, dramatically, and I don't know, Next Gen's had this problem before. I think Matt and I have pointed this out before where you have a really good slow boil. You have great character stuff happening in exactly the amount of time it needs to. And then they realize, oh, shit, we got to pay the, the plot off. Let's, uh, it's over. Yeah. And we're done. Yeah. It, and it's like the, it's like a miniaturized version of what you guys have pointed out with their two-parters. Where they, they come up with a really good season-end cliffhanger, mm -hmm. but then when they get back together after hiatus, they have no idea what they're doing. 
It's it's a bit like that, but it's I imagine them in the writing room breaking the axe, and then they, they uh, we'll worry about the last act later, and then oh shit, it's later. Uh, uh, and then she realizes she's crazy. The end. Yeah, and then they all explode. <laughs> Not great. It's over. <laughs> but I mean, I, I see your point. But again, I don't know what they could have done. Like, I'm not sure. No, I. It had to be. I. I was actually surprised when the credits came up at the end. I was like, "Wait, what?" So. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, and I'm. See, I was. Well, go ahead. See, I was actually surprised because uh, at the end of the courtroom, they do this great sort of pull up while everyone leaves, and they just sort of have her sitting alone in the uh, the courtroom. And I, I was certain that was going to be the end. And just like, I think we're not done quite yet, guys. Well, that that would have made an okay ending again. It would have felt a little rushed. Or, I don't know, maybe maybe she could have had a scene where she, you know, where she's confiding in someone I thought I knew right, but I, you know, I failed. You know, yeah. my father would be so disappointed in me. Something something like that. Yeah, maybe that would have been it. Yeah. Just a, a whole I extra actually scene prefer, of her. I would actually prefer, like, this to have ended with her just like, no, I'm still, there's still stuff out there and I'm going to find it. Right. Well, and the look on her Betazoid aide's face was sort of like, uh, so what? Why Why do we, you know, she's passionate about her job, but we're right. Like, he didn't look, yeah. it didn't look like he was disappointed or ashamed or anything. He was just like, no, no. we're we're totally right about all this. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then again, after Picard gives a, a speech, what, what more can you say? Yeah. <laughs> after Picard gives a speech, everyone just needs to leave. Yeah, this is this is the uh, Costanza school of going out on a high note. Picard gives a speech, and he's like, good night, everybody. All right, that's it for me. <laughs> uh, Matt, what about you? There are some absolutely amazing scenes in this episode, but my favorite has to be this argument between uh, Picard and Worf about whether Tarsus is guilty or not. Mm-hmm. Got two actors doing an absolutely amazing job, and look, we know Picard's right because he's Picard. Right. But Worf actually has a legitimate viewpoint that I think he like he articulates well. I I agree, but I do think Worf's been looking for an excuse to crack down on things and make things a little more. Well, I mean that's yeah, that's Worf. That's his character. Right. And now that he has some authority to do that, he loves it. And I just it, mm-hmm. it kind of made me realize Worf in a position of authority would be scary because he'd be a, he'd be a fascist. He'd you know. Back. I just, I, as soon as he finds out that uh, Tarsus is half Romulan, it's like, well, this guy doesn't have any rights. Yep. I'm watching, I'm just like, boy, I hope that guy doesn't need a blood transfusion <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> Shit out of luck. Yep. Uh, so speaking of Tarsus, I see your bad thing here. Why don't you? He is just ridiculous. The first time I saw him with his sad puppy dog eyes and his giant oversized Vulcan ears, I just completely lost it. <laughs> I this is another one where I see your point, but I disagree. Like, I I don't know. I like the actor that they cast. He looks young and earnest and sort of sad that this happened. Mm-hmm. The puppy dog eyes thing I like. The ears. I see what they were trying to do, which is he's only a quarter Romulan. How do you show that that he's got a little bit of that heritage without giving him full on pointed ears? And I think they just kind of fumbled it. They gave him elf ears, right? But I think what they were trying to do is imply a little bit of that heritage without going over the top with it, and I, I just don't think they did it well. No. Would pointing his eyebrows have been a better route to go, maybe? Yep, that pro- that probably would have done it. Like, if they had if, if they had included the eyebrows or just had the eyebrows, I probably could have taken them a bit more seriously. Yeah, maybe like normal human ears, but like, uh, facially making them a little more Vulcan. Yeah. That maybe mixing it. in a little green into the, uh, into his makeup base. 
Yeah, yeah, that would work too. I, I wonder what. But I mean, they just slapped a pair of not great looking Vulcaneers on him. Right. I really wonder what that kid's backstory, like his family's backstory, is, and I don't need to read a book about it. But I'm although I'm sure one exists, uh, undoubtedly. But I'm very curious how a Romulan, and if it's his grandfather, it's probably around the Kirk era. I wonder how a human and a Romulan ended up like mating. Like that's mm-hmm. that's interesting because they've always been at war, as far as we know. And it would be kind of an yeah, interesting so. story to see, you know, war torn people that aren't supposed to be together fighting each other, and yeah, that could be an interesting story. And and Romulans and humans only recently, like humans, only recently met. Yeah, even became like, aware of them, person. right? Yeah. No, I just I, so yeah, that would be interesting. I'd like to. I, I would like to. Not find out more about that, but know that it exists. Well, I, like a stray line of dialogue in this episode explaining how that happened might have been interesting. Mm. So, really, what you're looking for is uh, an ebook titled Tarsus's Grandfather Teenage Fuck Machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I see no I see no flaws in that suggestion at all. I think uh, <laughs> I think we need to slap a so copyright Tarsus. on that and uh, get. Uh, you can have that one for free. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> um. So the, I, I have a note here. Uh, this is the first Next Gen episode I can remember seeing. I'm sure I must have seen episodes before this one, but this really sticks in my mind. Bob, who's, you know, been on the show many times. You guys all know Bob. You've met him and met him mm-hmm. and met him. Uh, and I, I had this... I met him the once. Well, all right. Uh, <laughs> but you've met him as a listener. Oh, oh right, yes. You've right. invited him into your ear holes a number of times. <laughs> There's an image. <laughs> Theater of the mind, Matt. But uh, back in high school, because I've known uh, I've known Bob for you know twenty some years, uh, we had this weird inside joke where we said Judge Aaron Settee and our best Picard voices, which are terrible Picard voices. Uh, but I can't remember what the actual joke was, and we also assumed that his love of Judge Aaron Settee was an essential part of his character, and he never mentions it again. I, but I like to think that that was the day that the Post Atomic Horror Podcast was born. Uh, then again, Matt would have been all of seven years old when that aired, and. Now I kind of want to hear that show. That would have been a weird, weird show. A 16-year-old and a 7-year-old uh, doing Probably stupid car voices. Probably would have just devolved into talk about Ghostbusters halfway through every episode. Fuck yeah. So, like, now? Yes. I don't think it would have been that different, is the thing. I think Matt would have had a more <laughs> limited vocabulary, and I would have been a little moodier. But other than that... Yeah, pretty much. I wouldn't have cursed as much. I know that uh, much. But not, not at all. Yeah, Just exactly. not as much. No, like, it's it's interesting because, sh- like I say, I'm sure I saw episodes before this, but this one is the first one that I really found memorable. Like, I'd, I'd love to say, oh, best of both worlds was my... No. My my first one was probably Devil's Due or something terrible like that. It could be worse. My first one was Casino Royale. And you, you still came back, huh? Yeah. Actually, that one was kind of cute in a dumb way. I can I can see it appealing to me at, like... Six. Well, plus, if you had seen any of the original series and then you saw that, you're like, oh, this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <laughs> um, so what else? What else? I like the, uh, the, they had the, the, the way they had of transmitting this, the Klingon spy was stealing his information and transmitting back to people with the hypospray that turned stuff into amino acids and can then it, uh, uh, puts in people's blood and they wander off with it. That seems completely believable and really, really cool. Yeah, and you wouldn't be able yeah. to detect it in any kind of scan. It's like, nope, just walking around with normal blood. Just yeah, because the, uh, the transporters all have like screeners on them to make sure nobody's bringing in, you know, yeah. dangerous jelly or, or whatever. So right. this would just wander right on through. 
No, I thought that was really cool. And like you say, it didn't sound like Technobabble. It sounded like real science. And it sounds like something we might be able to do now or something close to it. Like, Yeah. I seem to recall... Or be able to do in the next, like, 10 years yeah, or so. Yeah, I seem to recall reading some kind of a scientific article and, the, <laughs> of course, not getting 90% of it because I'm me. But right. about us being able to put tiny messages inside, like, junk DNA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, the closer we get to, you know, mapping the genome, it seems like we should be able to create fake little proteins and drop them into our blood, no problem. Yeah, which is a yeah. really cool idea. No, that that was great. I, I really like that. But then one of you pointed out uh, he had the hi- the special hypo, and then he just went down to sickbay to use it anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes sense. Hey, we need, uh, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. Uh, can you uh, Can you stab me with this here? I suppose that's true. Although you're you're not you know yeah. you're not doing the voice right. As Matt pointed out, he's very villainous. He's got oh, this. Yeah. True. It's yes. just, it just you know pretending not to know what he's doing with this highly technical piece of equipment seemed like a real Jersey thing for some reason. Oh no, absolutely. I'm not super <laughs> sure what I'm doing. <laughs> that sounds like your Cobra Commander. Not that that's too far Apparently off. Apparently, I'm Cobra Commander now. <laughs> hey, no, I can't use this hypo. It fell off a truck. I don't know how it works. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> he's related to Diamato. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm a Klingon xenobiologist. Who says I'm oh. not? No, and I, I like that the Enterprise is carrying scientists from different cultures because they're always doing that. We don't need to see it every week. But no. it's implied they have all but these makes a lot of exchange programs and scientific teams and whatever. But like I like I said in my summary, Klingon scientists? Really? Like they have those? I, I mean, we've talked about this before. They, first of all, they have to have Klingon Yeah, someone must have invented space travel. And... they have warp technology? Right. Well, you know, allowing people, I just, uh, allowing uh, other Klingons to get off the planet and go beat up people on other planets, that has to be, like, full of honor, right? I don't know. I don't think so. I really feel like if you're a Klingon scientist, you're way at the bottom of the pecking well, order. Well, look at it this way, and, and Andy, it's hard for you because you, you are the rare overlap in this Venn diagram, but I have always thought of Klingons as jocks and Starfleet as nerds. <laughs> And again, you you exist in both worlds, but think of it as the you know as the traditional jocks versus nerds thing. I can't imagine the Klingon jocks looking well upon the nerds in their culture. They're probably ashamed of them. Well, the uh, the Klingon scientist had uh, you know compared to like the other like say for like the Klingon captains and stuff we've seen, mm-hmm. his outfit was fairly simple. I mean, he didn't have like gigantic shoulder pads and spikes and gloves and a huge a really okay. He had a huge belt buckle, but it wasn't really ornate. <laughs> But no, and he was covered in weird little brooms. Yeah, so you know, maybe it's like maybe he, you know, you don't, you get to have fancier and fancier uniforms as you advance in rank. So maybe you know, well, well, you just uh, you're the new guy around here, so uh, you're the scientist. Have fun. <laughs> See, I and I think we've seen sort of hints that they have like a social. Uh, is it cast or caste? I never know how to say that word. Cast. I see it in writing, but I've never actually heard it out loud. Okay, a caste system cast. where. You know, they, there's different levels of like, you know, if you're a warrior and you have your own house on or whatever, if you do a normal job, you're sort of a lower class and you're not entitled to property or, you know, that sort of thing. Like it might be that because I assume there must be other, you know, other Klingons doing terrible jobs that have no honor in them. There must be. Yeah. They function as a culture. You're Klingon shopkeeper. Right. Or like miners because they had praxis for all their energy stuff. They must have been. Mining. Yeah. Well, no, but they—that's uh, th- what the—that's uh, what they had their prisoners for. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, good call. Yeah. I, which is too bad because I was picturing a Klingon wearing a hard hat and uh, <laughs> and s- sending a targ in like you would a, a canary, 
So, so does the hard hat still... the hard hat with the uh, ridges sculpted? Right, in. Exactly. exactly. Well, and that was some of the deleted scenes from the from the Abrams movie had them in uh, in uh, armor. Oh yeah, good catch. Which they had the ridges built into the armor, and that was that was his sort of workaround. Well, maybe they got ridges, or maybe it's part of the armor. I'm not I'm not addressing this right now. <laughs> I'm avoiding this problem. completely. Yep, they're wearing helmets with ridges. That's that's enough for now, <laughs> which is nice. Um. But yeah, I, I again the idea of a Klingon scientist and also not being very scientisty. He's still very sinister. I love that he uh, that he uh, takes the the first opportunity he can to stick it to War. Oh yeah, who clearly is the only Klingon he's ever met who is below him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's is that a whole typical what is that doing here? Like the, every time we see yeah. a Klingon interacting with, well, which is a nice way to bring that home. Mm-hmm. It didn't just happen in one episode. It keeps coming back to him. Like, if the scientist is making fun of you, ouch. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, to bring back the, the metaphor I used a minute ago, it's like, you know, you were on the football team, and then you got kicked off in disgrace, and now nerds are making fun of you. That's not cool. <laughs> but, I mean, I like I like that he's first doing that, you have no honor, you're, you're terrible. But after that, and, he's trying to bribe him. Yeah, and since you've got no honor, how about let me steal a shuttle? I get you your honor back. Yeah, come on, buddy. I could, I could hook you up, man. You just look the other way, and I'll slip you some non-existent money, and we'll pretend it never happened. Yeah, you and me, buddy. We're Klingons. I mean, I hate you. Well, and technically, you know. you're not a Klingon in the in the eyes of our laws. But uh, hey, come on, do me a solid. Yeah, exactly. Lord, I've never done anyone a solid before. <laughs> At least you didn't call me bra. <laughs> but I also like the idea of Klingon fundamentalists, like guys who are dead set against the uh the the alliance with the federation and it, they've had an alliance for 50 years or something and there's still mm-hmm. klingons hanging around this is like no we're not we're not pure anymore this is this is terrible i just i like the idea that there's this political faction that just is completely opposed and that they're willing to go to get in bed with the romulans too. yeah exactly which like we want to get back to the old days when we were friends with the romulans and we were fucking dangerous yep and not it's 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 a really cool sort of approach. Well, and they look at Worf and they see Worf on this comfy ship where everyone has big hotel room quarters and mm. and they're like, wow, this is really this is where we're going, huh? Not for me. Yeah. No, this guy now gets I'm the go lounge back to my a... ship with no lights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna flounder around in the dark. I'm gonna step in some targ shit. It's gonna be yeah, great. Yeah, the captain's just gonna have his pet right there on the bridge. That's that's great. Yep, no problem. Everything's going to be made out of grates. Yep. And railings that people can fall over. Well, you want yes. to get into a good fight near some railings. A Klingon ship is where you do it. Well, yeah. Klingon ships are specifically built on the inside so that they look cool when you're having fights yep. on them. Well, there's a lot of fights to have. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was actually a thing. That could be. I mean, we they yeah. pointed out that if you want to challenge the captain, you go up and punch him in the face. Yep. And, you know, you can fight him and take over the ship, basically. And then, you know, I, I was inviting you guys to say, and we all move up in rank, but you might not have been following the <laughs> oh, same I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. And we all move up in but, rank. But, I mean, that's really how it works. We saw the mirror enterprise work that way, but that's how Klingon ships actually work. Mm-hmm. If you assassinate the captain, you become the captain. Yes. Which is kind of fucked up. And then you steer the ship into an asteroid. Right. What? Cause just because you can kick a guy's ass doesn't mean you're good at his job. Well, that's... well, he's not steering. He's just captaining. It's not his. It's not the new captain's fault if the helmsman's an idiot. Right. No, but it is the new captain's fault if the helmsman, if if the janitor beat up the old helmsman <laughs> and took over the helmsman's <laughs> position. 
Well, now we're fucked. Well, in a fight, Mop beats Batleth every time. I mean, that's they don't talk <laughs> about that, but that's uh, that's definitely a thing. Um, I kind of wonder if having a, a Betazoid questioning someone, I wonder if that's invisible in court. It just seems sort of shady. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's not, I mean it's, the it's thing not is, we've only court, ever had. But it's the only way courts work. You have to have a Betazoid lawyer. That way everything's fair. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I don't know. I, I just she she's going entirely on his word, which mm. seems like the official record said. Oh well, he sensed he was lying. That just doesn't seem like enough to me. No, I mean, I mean, like he even he even like in the courtroom proves what he was lying about. It just it seems really like not good. No, but I mean, not poorly written. Just no, no. It's 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 well written. It's just it's not a good. Like well, they're doing this position from a lawyer from a lawying from a lawying point standpoint. of view. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, they're lawyers. They they loy and they enjoy they lawying. Loy. Makes sense to me. Uh, he um he lies about how the thing was sabotaged, hope, hoping to you know trip uh, Tarsus up. Mm-hmm. But he he doesn't fall for. I don't know. It just seems like they're using a lot of weird tricks. I mean, it's that whole ends justify the means thing, but they're not going about it very well. Yeah. That's a good point. There was a there's a great moment where they're first questioning Tarsus, and they say you uh, you're not fully human or something like that. And he says, "My paternal grandfather was Vulcan." You know, his his first lie. If you know to look for it, if you know it's there, he stammers just a little bit. No kidding. Yeah, which is a nice little like you you think, oh, that was a bad line reading. It wasn't much. He's like my paternal grandfather, and it's mm-hmm. a nice little slip. But it's ah, yeah, he's lying. There's a little tell there. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. I, I like little details like that. Mm. Uh, I did like that. I mean, even though he's he's one fourth Vulcan, they never bring up the whole. Well, Vulcans never lie, so he clearly isn't lying. Right. That's a, that's a good point. Also, I think that's a, that that in itself is a lie. Oh yeah, no, I completely agree. We've talked about this. before. Yeah, I think Spock just hid behind that. But I'm surprised it never came up. Yeah, well, that's true. That's a good point. All right. Any further business on this one? Any additional points? It was fun to see uh, uh, it was fun to see Picard like have a problem with uh, someone who's still technically superior to him. Mm-hmm. And she was brought in as like an independent investigator, and she's retired as an admiral. Mm-hmm. But you know they're supposed to have this partnership, and it's very clearly that like she's trying to take over. And he, it's it's rare we get to see this bristling with authority figures that was a standard with uh, Kirk, but you don't really see it with Jean Luc. Occasionally, you get it. Um, I mean, uh, later on, actually, with uh, what's her name, Necheyev, where she pops up a few times, and she's just this stone bitch about everything. Uh, but that's that's later. For the most part, yeah, you're right. He's he's usually chummy with the admirals. They're usually mm. on a first name basis. They they go way back. He's like, sure, Jim, I'll do whatever you say. I but yeah, in this I kind of. I wonder if it's like a uh, a thing where like you know the Enterprise might have been a pretty good ship and Kirk was like the young hotshot, mm-hmm. so like they always like the 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 admirals and commodores were always trying to shove him around a bit to see what would happen. Right. But now with the you know the fourth Enterprise, it's very clearly they want to keep that name in there, so it's very clearly the flagship of the fleet. He's very clearly the most prominent captain. Right. Where mm-hmm. most admirals actually have a great deal of respect for him and are actually kind of surprised he's not an admiral. Yeah, exactly. Um, Has he been offered at this point? He must have done at least mm, once, right? No, I don't think so. He is at one point, but I don't think it's happened yet. 
And I think that's when they pick up on that thread in Generations, it's, I think they were just flailing. Like, what are the few things these guys actually have in common? Oh, well, they both want to be captains and not admirals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they both like horses. That's pretty much it. And I have my own saddle. And cooking eggs. That's Riker. Oh, right. Well, Riker should have gone to the Nexus. <laughs> All right. Those two would have gotten along way better. Yeah. It would have been really hard to, you know, like you could just... Tell them apart? Yeah, exactly. You could just give them the, each other's lines and you wouldn't be able to tell. Mm-hmm. There'd be no uh, there'd be no chemistry. There'd be no conflict just because they're the same guy. Mm-hmm. Except Riker's nicer to women. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I don't understand, Bill. I mean, you know, why don't you just make a woman have sex with you? Ugh. <sighs> Look, you can charm them. Ugh. And then the next morning is so much easier. You can say, oh, that was fun. Goodbye. You don't have to sneak yeah. away or anything. All right. Kirk's like, I don't understand any of this. Your future is strange you- and foreign to me. <laughs> well, who do you have to hush up all your various, all your various goings on? N- Nobody. Nobody? Yeah. Everybody knows. Everyone loves me for that. Oh. Really? Huh. How odd. All right. <laughs> Commander, you and I have a lot to learn from each other. <laughs> I don't think I have a lot to learn from you, sir. <laughs> yeah, this this fanfic is not turning out very well at all. <laughs> no. And then they make out. What? Well, yes. Well, and obviously. Then Riker finds five dollars. What? Nothing. All right. All right. So my quote was: I think I, I in the course of this entire series, I will not have an easier time picking a quote. Sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's easy. This one was the easiest one ever, because it's Picard's big speech at the end, and it goes like this. You know, there are some words I've known since I was a schoolboy. With the first link, the chain is forged. The first speech censured, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, chains us all irrevocably. Those words were uttered by Judge Aaron Satie as wisdom and warning. The first time any man's freedom is trodden on, we're all damaged. I fear that today... How dare you! You who consort with Romulans, invoke my father's name to support your traitorous arguments. It is an offense to everything I hold dear. And to hear those words used to subvert the United Federation of Planets. My father was a great man. His name stands for integrity and principle. You dirty his name when you speak it. He loved the Federation. But you, Captain, corrupt it. You undermine our very way of life. I will expose you for what you are. I've brought down bigger men than you, Picard. And it's great. So that happened. All right. Yeah, I mean, anytime Picard has a big speech, it's always pretty easy to figure out what the quote's going to be. Well, yeah, obviously. And and it wasn't one where I feel, oh, God, I'm not going to put a five-minute thing in here. But it was it was short, and it made Satie break down. It was just, it was fantastic. Yeah. Always enjoy that. All right, pushing... Always nice to hear from Picard. (laughs) Pushing forward to the episode that Andy specifically chose for some reason. Uh, Half a life. So why don't you tell the fine people what happened there? That I will. 
Uh, we open on Captain Picard cautiously stepping into a hallway. You see, Loxana Troy is aboard the ship, and he would really rather avoid her, since he has important diplomatic, diplomatic duties to attend to. Oh, there she is. Jean-Luc tries admirably to get Mrs. Troy to head on her way, so he can properly welcome a member of a very reclusive race aboard the Enterprise, but she's having none of that and insists on tagging along in her usual fashion. Dr. Timison is from Kalon 2, where their son is slowly dying. Timison believes he's found a way to control the Enterprise's photon torpedoes to reignite their son. Timison tells the senior staff he's been working on this for 40 years, and the only ho his only hope is to find a way to succeed before he dies, which seems like a really odd thing to tell a bunch of strangers, but oh well. Waxada decides that since she's already tried to marry every crewman aboard the Enterprise, it's time to turn her attention to Dr. Timison. And while Dr. Timison is on the shy side because his people, he is slowly won over by Waxana's attention. The Enterprise arrives at a remote star, similar to Kalan 2's sun, and Timison's photon torpedo system appears to raise the temperature of the star to the appropriate levels and then stabilize. But then the star starts heating up again and goes nova, which would probably be bad for Kalon too. Timson is distraught because it took the Federation three years to find an appropriate star to test his life's work on, so he heads the 10 forward to drink. Excellent decision. Waxana tries to cheer him up, and even she realizes that he's in no mood for that. Timison tells her that he wishes that they had met years before, because now that his experiment has failed, he's on his way home to die. Wait, what? <laughs> Turns out that Timison wasn't just being an old man talking about his life's work earlier. The people of Kalon 2 have a ritual called the Resolution, where you get a huge blowout party celebrating your entire life when you turn 60, and then you kill yourself. Timison turns 60 in a couple of days. This means that, in befitting an episode that guest stars a member of the cast of M.A.S.H., this episode takes a hard right turn from comedy romp to Waxana to serious discussion time. <laughs> Since Picard won't step in because of Prime Directive, Waxana tries to bully Chief O'Brien into transporting her down to Kalon 2 to give those jerks a piece of her mind. Deanna talks her out of it, though, and mother and daughter have a touching conversation about their mortality. Waxana and Timson have a post-coital discussion about his people's traditions, and how useful he can still be to Kalon 2, which ends with Loxana making a point about why they, why should they save their son when this when it's clearly the son's time to go. Later in engineering, Timson thinks he's uh, figured out the potential problem in his experiment and requests asylum aboard the Enterprise to continue his work instead of dying. This leads to Kalon 2 sending warships to blow the Enterprise out of the sky if they try to leave with Timson, and they also cut off communication with the Enterprise. Timson realizes that even if he solves the problem, his people will refuse to hear the answer. Timson's daughter comes aboard the Enterprise to try and persuade his father to stop being crazy, and he ultimately decides he can't break from tradition and will return to Kalon 2 and proceed with his resolution. Waxana arrives in the transporter room as Timson is about to depart, so she can spend his final few days with him and promises Captain Picard that she'll be absolutely no tribble at all. <laughs> Very nice. I think you must have chosen this one just to make that MASH reference, because that was incredibly clever. <laughs> that did not even occur to me, the the, the comedy drama thing. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I honestly just picked it because I recognized, uh, I remembered the... Uh, the Futurama reference? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I recognized the description, and I said, okay, well, I know which one this is, so I'll have an easy time. Uh, I won't have to, like, figure out the plot points to it. I can kind of know where this is going anyway, and... Turns out I didn't quite remember it right. I thought, like, Troy showed up married to him already, but it mm -hmm. worked out this, the same way, so it didn't really matter. 
I think there's a different episode where where Loxana shows up and she's already married to someone and, and Deanna's a like but but it's a <laughs> How would you, you might be you might be uh, confusing the two. This is one of those for me that was on in syndication constantly. I can see that because it's really really good. Yeah, it's good and it's sort of self-contained. You don't need to to know what's going on from any other episodes. I mean, it helps if you know who Mrs. Troy is. Right, but, but you know, if you know, it actually more helps if you know who Counselor Troy is because the uh, the episode starts with uh, uh, Counselor Deanna Troy's personal log, stardate whatever it actually was. Mm-hmm. My mother is on board, and then it goes right into Picard in the hallway. But but the delivery <laughs> is that. perfect. She's like, yes, my mother is here, <laughs> and that's all you need. She's got that great way of whenever she's talking about her mother of hello Newman, like it's that same kind of thing. <laughs> Which that's uh, what makes their uh, their scene in the transporter room all the more all the more great. It's like they almost have this adversarial relationship because of how uh, how outgoing um, she how outgoing Roxana is. So mm-hmm. Deanna's constantly having to like fight just to be heard most of the time, and not to mention not be embarrassed by her. And then they have this very touching moment uh, where they discuss you know basically their own, like I said their own mortality. And and it's interesting, you just made me realize, I think Deanna must be kind of a self-hating Vedazoid. Because she sees, like, her mother being outgoing and everything, and she realizes that that's sort of the tendency of their people, and she's been trying to hide that her whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's, that's possible. <laughs> and she's just so ashamed, oh god, am I like that? Because that's the only explanation for her being from a very passionate people, from a from a very open people, and being so reserved and cold most of the time. Yeah. Well, it, does, it does explain her outfits, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> Actually, nothing explains her outfits. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I tried. Until she... Deanna Troy, complicated individual. Yeah. No, she likes chocolate. Yeah. Remember when they were summing up what everyone was about, and that's that's all she got? She likes chocolate and her mother. Right. She doesn't like her mother. No, it was interesting in the in the transporter room, as you, as you were saying, because I think that's the first time. This is her fourth appearance. She's had one appearance every season. And it's her fourth appearance, and it's the first time they hug. I'm like, what? What's going on here? They hug goodbye, but that's it. Why? Why is she? Why are you squeezing me with your body? <laughs> Let. What's happening? Let go. It, you don't ever see them having a loving moment, like I say, until Deanna's saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And it was weird in the middle of the episode seeing them connect because she's always rolling her eyes so hard, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, so your good thing? Uh, my good thing is Major Barrett. It, oh yeah, she like you said. It's like this is the first time we've seen like a touching moment involving Luxana. She's usually in this whatever episode it is. It's usually like I said. Uh, it's a, you know turns from comedic romp. Those are usually how Luxana's episodes are going for mm-hmm. one reason or another. So to see just a completely different aspect of her, she's upset. Uh, she's angry about Timson going to kill himself. She's sad because she's met this wonderful man and he's going to go kill himself. Uh, she's connecting with her daughter on a whole new level, and, mm-hmm. and then she's you know trying to encourage Timson to stand up and be a, a leader of a revolution of thought on his planet. And ultimately, she accepts what he has to still do. And you see this whole gamut of emotions and this great arc that she goes on through, and she carries it fantastically the entire time. Yeah, she really Which, does. And to this point, we've seen her be. I mean, she's great at comedy. It's not like they've been misusing her this entire time, but it's nice to see another another angle to her, another aspect of her. Yeah. Um, it's uh, once again you talking about it has made me realize something. 
she goes through the stages of grief. She goes denial, anger, acceptance. Oh yeah. Which is I didn't oh, think about that. that's cool. Yeah, which is natural, and she plays all of those incredibly well. And it's nice seeing her courting him because she's properly courting him and not coming on nearly as strongly as usual. She's trying to be charming yeah. and a little well, not reserved. As strong, and, not as strong as usual for her. Right, she's not in her first breath. She asks him out. Well, yeah, but she's not straddling his his lap. Okay. No, I mean when it's with like when she does the same thing with Picard, it's like it's almost a game for the two of them. Right. Because she well, knows, I feel like she actually thinks she has a chance with this guy and is sort of enjoying the whole. Oh, process. and they're so sweet together because it's yeah. it's natural the the progression, and I think that's part of it too. Is you don't feel like, wait, one scene he was uncomfortable and the next scene they're in love. That doesn't make sense. It's no. We've talked about this before. It's hard for this show to convince you that two people fell in love in a forty-two minute episode, but this time it worked. They do it excellently. Yeah, in this one because like, I just usually don't buy it. You just met. And there's no way you fell in love, in, you know, in three acts of a show. There's, there's just no way. But here, they totally did. Yeah. And uh, uh, and uh, I, I didn't mention it in my summary, but uh, David Ogden Stairs, who's the actor from MASH that mm-hmm. I mentioned before, um, he actually does a really good job of portraying this older gentleman who's lost his wife several years ago and mm-hmm. has just kind of been focusing on his work. And then, like, he's, the idea of meeting another woman has... It comes across in his his reactions to her. Meeting another woman has completely not occurred to him at all. And he's just taken aback at one, uh, Waxana's interest, and then two, how much he actually enjoys her. Well, yeah, she is enjoy. You know, if you put aside, you know, her annoying uh, uh, Deanna and, and Picard, she really is delightful. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, not everyone would find that so, but some men really like outgoing, confident women who are loud and always right. Um, <laughs> well, that, little, that hit a little close to home. <laughs> no, I've, I've watched the entire series together uh, with my wife, and she that is, I think, her most self-identification character. I'm not, I'm not too far out of line saying that. <laughs> um, but no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's sort of a, I wouldn't even say a trope, but definitely a, a, an archetype of a character who is a widow, or widower and never considers that he could ever meet anyone again. And he's just sort of resigned himself to the fact that he's going to be alone and then meeting someone. And that's someone, you know, that's, that's a type of person I think you could know in real life as well. It's, it's very realistic. Yeah. And he totally plays the guy who knows he has a deadline that he's working against. Did they say how his wife died? Was she maybe older than him and has Um, already done whatever? I'm not sure now that you mention it. I think he mentions it in the turbo lift. I think, Hmm. I don't know if he says, I think he just says, yeah, I think he said died. Mm. Maybe I said lost. He definitely says that she died, They, but it never comes up whether he t- she took the... Uh... Well, that's what I mean. If she was like five years older than him, mm. then that's how he would have lost her. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's true. And that was, at that point, they were still hiding the resolution from us, so he like, that's possible. Yeah, he might have just tried to, to cover that up because, yeah. Um, I, I kind of wonder how they... Did they mention how they die? Because no. I kind of, I kind of picture them. I, for some reason, I picture them leaping into a volcano, and I have no idea why. That's got to be it. Yeah, I was I, figuring they had like the suicide booth, like in Futurama. That could be. That's that's sensible, right? I don't know. You I, know, I, I and, mentioned and this cl- cleans okay. things up nicely for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, next. No, I I really wish I was more familiar with Logan's Run because it feels like there's Logan's Run references to be made here, but I've never seen it. I think in All that I know movie, is that nobody has a gem on their wrist, so... Right. 
But I think in that movie they uh, they were supposed to end their lives at 30. So these guys are at least twice as good as the society in uh, Logan's Run. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the only joke I have. Uh, so your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing was I picked a terrible episode. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I, it's it's a great episode of of, of a television, but from a perspective of hey, I'm going to go beyond this Star Trek podcast and talk about Star Trek, and it's going to be Jordy and Data being cool together, and mm -hmm. Captain Picard's going to give a speech and et cetera, et cetera. Yet yeah, they're the the crew is in this episode for maybe five combined minutes. That's a good point. Yeah. And Luxana making waves on this planet just makes things uncomfortable for them, and they're basically there to react to, uh, whoa, Prime Directive, back off, and that's that's yeah. their entire role in this. Well, and, and speaking of just being there to react, Jordy is just there to be sarcastic guy. Yeah, well, and then O'Brien's there to be uncomfortable guy. Well, Jordy, I, I think LeVar Burton has, I think, three lines in the entire episode, and mm -hmm. they're all basically, like... He's not actually, like, on the ship. He's just making sarcastic comments about what's going on on the ship. Uh, but, no, he's got some, some techno babbly stuff when uh, he and oh, okay. Data that's and Timison are down there working the, the science stuff. Okay, that's true. Right before the picnic. Right, right before the picnic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where Luxana sweeps the, the little engineering table clear of, of the hundreds of iPads that they have for no reason. And, uh, and, yep. it, and I could swear that she was going to throw him down on the table and have him there. But uh, apparently it's just for a picnic. Mr. Hom, spread it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been my quote, incidentally. <laughs> no, I, I like when Jordy and Data, uh, like when they're welcoming different scientists on with their weird experiments, I feel like Jordy really gets into that. Like, yeah, hey, I didn't know my ship could do that. Cool. Yeah. And, and we see that from time to time. And you get the feeling, just like I was saying last week or last episode, uh, you get the feeling that they're doing this kind of stuff all the time. There's scientists coming and going. They're doing, you know, they're using the unique uh, properties of the Enterprise to try new and weird stuff, and I think that's cool. Uh, how about, oh, no, I guess I'm next. Um, so my good thing is, well, I, I got to go with Andy on this one. Fantastic acting. Absolutely. Not just from Angel Barrett, but also from David Ogden Steers. He has this great, quiet dignity. Like, he's he's just sort of proud and stoic, and he doesn't, you know... I, I, but it's it's not bad acting. It's not wooden acting. You can tell he's got all this just emotions bubbling under the surface. He's got anger at, at Luxana uh, interfering and then anger that he does have to die because he met this great woman. And he's got the sadness that his, his thing's not working out and he's going to have to die. He's got his in love with her. But it's all almost completely under the surface. He's got a moment where he smiles and a moment where he cries. But that that's it. And he plays it so well. Like, I really buy that he's kind of a complicated guy who's trying not to show all his emotions and i really yeah. like that no i i there when uh when they're going through the uh the test to see if they're you know if they can save the uh planet mm -hmm. he just he goes from like just overjoyed yeah, which is oh. a very small smile right to just utterly devastated which is just oh that's all right captain right we knew it might not work no that's okay i'm gonna go now yeah but I mean, and it does have go, a little. I really mean go. Yeah, I'm not coming back from this one. <laughs> I may be gone for a while. <laughs> Undiscovered country in the original meaning of the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and the the chemistry they have is fantastic. Like I said, it totally yeah, seems it like is. they're falling for each other. The scenes where they're just together, and then the scenes where she's really trying to convince him, you know, don't go. This is stupid. Uh, they're mm -hmm. just, every every scene they have together is just beautiful. 
there is there's also there's a moment where uh they've just had a date or something and she invites him back into her room mm-hmm. and he says no he's about to leave and i just think to myself okay i just realized that he's not going to make it through the end of this episode and i'm sad now yeah <laughs> i like i like these two why can't it work out for them yeah exactly he she he could be uh troy's new dad why can't <laughs> these two crazy kids get it together al i i can't answer that man i'm sorry i, I wish i could but uh Damn it! <laughs> Drama, pathos, I guess. Oh, I hate those things. Uh, the Joss Whedon rule that no one is ever allowed to be happy. <laughs> Drama, Archer's dog. <laughs> <laughs> My murdered parents. Wait, no, that was uh, that was uh, 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 Frisky Dingo. Different thing. Um. So my bad thing. Uh, okay, Michelle Forbes shows up, and uh, a lot of you may know who that is. She en- ends up playing Ensign Rowe, uh, I think, starting next season. Great uh, Bajoran character. She played an admiral in uh, Battlestar Galactica. She's been all over the place. Uh, Andy, Wait, I th- was she Kane? Um, yes, she was Admiral Kane in that. Because wow. I thought it was great that we first met her as an ensign on one show, and then she was an admiral on another show. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy, you mentioned more recent examples of, of stuff that she's been in. Um, I no- Oh, she was on uh, 24. I forget uh-huh. what exactly she played, but I, I think she was like the, the national security advisor or something like that, I think. She's... She's got a great... She plays harsh characters very well. Yes. That's like what she Ro, did on 24, and she was really, really good. Yeah. Ro is like uh, uh, Kira 1.0. She's yeah. she's very... Like, she was in, in horrible camps, concentration camps, and she's angry, and she's, you know, just bitter. She plays that really well. And then as the, the hard-assed admiral in, in Battlestar Galactica, and as anyone on 24, she's probably crazy over-the-top, you know, extreme. Jamming a towel down someone's throat. Yeah, exactly. Uh... I, she just plays that really well. And so in this episode, she plays Timson's daughter, who only shows up for, I think, one scene. And she's got this ridiculous hairdo that looked like it requires, like, special structural integrity fields to keep up. I kept expecting G.I. Joe planes to start launching off of it. <laughs> but uh, overall, she just, it looked like they were trying to make her look soft and kind of sympathetic. And she does get angry. Mm-hmm. But she's really supposed to be his tie back to home, his heart, his own. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm gonna let her down. Maybe I should go back. And yeah. and I just I didn't I didn't buy her. She's so good, and she's so good at being like I say harsh characters that it was hard to buy her as something that wasn't that. Yeah. And that hair, that hair was fucking ridiculous. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Matt, what about you? Uh, so this episode takes two older people, has them fall in love, and that made me cry. <laughs> that is not easy to do at all. Nope, you hate old people. I do, and like this took, it just, I was really surprised that by the end of this episode, I'm just like, oh, like, it's not easy to get me emotionally invested in stuff. It usually takes musical episodes of Adventure Time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, you're you're absolutely right, though. The emotional stuff. And again, Major Barrett has played the broad comedy for so long. I think mm-hmm. that's what the best thing, it's sort of a bait and switch. Every time you see her, she's funny. She's, she's you know, making everyone feel uncomfortable and awkward. And then suddenly, bam, she can act, too. Jesus. Yeah. There's a human under there. Oh, God. No, the uh, the scene with her just sort of breaking down with Deanna is absolutely devastating. She's got a few good moments like that where she's just really unhappy or and, whatever. And the, the bit with Deanna, it's a slow turn, too. She, yeah. Oh, mm. She's angry at Picard. She's angry at... Uh, the planet and she's angry at O'Brien for being a jerk and <laughs> and Deanna's like, seriously? 
And she slowly, then she's angry at Deanna for questioning her, and slowly she just loses her anger and melts. Well, and and like I said, it's it's. I think she was transitioning from anger to acceptance there, right? Which is, I'm sure they had that in their in their heads. I'm not. I'm not making some great insight there. I'm sure that's how they wrote it. Yeah, but it's it's cool to see that now that I've kind of worked that out. <laughs> that scene with O'Brien, I think we should mention specifically. We we open like she's probably been there for a few minutes. We we yes. cut to the scene and he's standing there looking. Oh God, what do I do? And she's standing on the transporter pad like, get me down there now. And and Deanna comes in and he's like, oh thank Christ. He literally says, I, I just, didn't know what to do. Yeah, I because does she outrank him? Well, maybe. I just I love the idea of him. Uh, counselor, could you come up here for a second, yeah. please? And it is one of those situations, counselor. I think you need to see this. <laughs> well, chief, I'm kind of busy right now. No, now. no, you need to see this. All right, but and then I figured, well, you know what? It might not be that bad. He's had a couple of months of Keiko time by now, <laughs> so he could he could deal with this. He, he he's really figuring out how to do the whole yes dear whatever you say dear. Yep. But um, I overall, uh, Loxana's just it's great to have a character who completely opposes some alien of the week's stupid traditions. Like yeah. Picard can't do that, and and the other guys can't do that because Prime Directive and respect for life and whatever. But mm. we have a nice character here who doesn't like. She specifically tells Picard, "It's your Prime Directive, it's not mine," mm. and it's great to see someone to be fully just completely critical of some some planet's stupid traditions i really like that uh, one of the things i really i liked about this episode is that it doesn't end with him living i nope. mean it's devastating but it also is it's kind of a really bold move yeah, for them it is and i particularly like that she comes to accept it so much that mm-hmm. she comes down to the transporter room in in like a muted outfit for her yeah. Which I think is is a nice subtle costuming cue, and suddenly she's calling the captain, sir, asking for permission to disembark. Yeah. You realize that all that that you know grandiose like like bombastic personality is all you know. It's all just a front. She she knows how to be serious. It's yeah. time to be serious. This dude's going to go end his life. I'm in love with him. You know. All right, let's do this. And it, it was mm-hmm. really that. That's what got me more than anything is suddenly seeing her put that front down completely yeah and act like a normal person for the first time is like whoa that was really cool yeah no it's a it's a really beautiful episode it is and the show didn't always do that well like a couple no, of times they have them not. but when they're trying to pull your heartstrings they usually don't no so yeah uh you're... they take a much more sort of ham-fisted approach to romance most of the yeah time romance in particular but but there's a few other things that they try to handle as well that i don't think but, they do yeah no this one is executed just perfectly i mean sometimes they do it family was great yeah, family's good. You know? And I'm sure there are a few others that I'm forgetting, but I mean, they do it well sometimes. But, I mean, more often than not. Yeah, that is true. Uh, yeah. uh, and your bad thing? The people of Thameson's planet are just staggeringly stupid. <laughs> I mean, they've apparently taken put all of their eggs in this one basket, and they plan to break the basket in a couple of days, no matter how many eggs are in it or not. <laughs> and just are going to apparently start back at square one. Like, they've got his notes and everything, but they are completely unwilling to, you know, like... Let the guy who it has the best shot of saving them, you know, maybe take a couple of days. Well, I understand so, that they're inflexible with their with their tradition. That's all right, fine. But I, I think we all pointed this out in the episode. If he's, you know, 56, 57 years old, he's coming up on that, you know, golden sunset or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. Maybe it's time to start 
taking on an apprentice. Like, you know yeah, it's yeah. coming. It's not like a surprise. It happens at 60 for everyone. But it's like, nope, Temzin, you're uh, you're it. You know this stuff, so uh, I'd figure it out quick. You got one shot at this, and it's right before your death day, so you better get it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have a, I guess, science minister. I, did, I, don't, I know they called a minister at some point. I don't know what his exact title was. He mm -hmm. actually says, it's going to take some time to choose a replacement, so we'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah we'll see you in a few years. Yeah, I don't think that you will. I'd actually love it if uh, the next time we heard about this planet, yeah, their uh, the, yeah, their uh, their sun stopped working. Right. So, no, and and Andy pointed Whoops. out a great bit where Luxana says, "Well, it's your son's time to die." Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just let it die? No, and they do Why don't you a put good the job. Sun out? <laughs> right. They do a good job of um, defending their side. Like I think we probably all didn't see it as a as a viable thing, but I think they did a good job of presenting the argument. This is why you get old, you get sick, you get confused. It's just easier this way. And I, again, I didn't agree with it. There's definitely a, uh, a side to that. Well, yeah, I absolutely. And we've all had, I'm sure relatives or people we've known that are just, you know, go on suffering and what can you do? Mm. And Andy pointed out that uh, the, some of the Kevorkian stuff was going on around this time. And it's possible that influenced what they, what they did here. Yeah. Which as much as I gave them crap in the last episode for the seventh guarantee, really, this is what Star Trek does best. They take contemporary issues and they deal with them in sort of a different way, mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. Because there's definitely some relatable morality here. It might not be exactly that, but it's definitely something, you know, that, that applies to our lives now, which is, you know, they're good at that when they do it well. Yeah. I like that. Uh, any further business? I like your one note here that says Al didn't watch this episode ahead of time because he's very lazy. Yeah, I I totally did my homework on the bus and uh, <laughs> I managed to watch my episode in time to write a summary and the next one I watch with you guys. So I'm like, can you stop making jokes so I can hear what's going on here, please? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> no, I, I fortunately, like I said, it was in syndication a lot. I've seen it a lot. I just kind of needed a refresher. So right. So that's good. Uh, Andy, any any additional things? Um, you, you mentioned the uh, Chief O'Brien uh, being clearly overwhelmed by the emotion coming out of Luxana, but mm -hmm. uh, you did mention the highlight of it. Once uh, Counselor Choi gets there and she kind of shoots him a look, said, "Hey, can you get out of here so we can have a mm -hmm. moment?" And he's like, "Oh, sure, I, I'll go check the pattern buffers." And he heads out of the room. And he's like, "Oh, wait, I'm not a sucker." And then he locks the controls. Yeah, Worf yeah. would have fallen for that, but uh, you know, I run a tight ship down here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'll bribe Look, the security might not be great, but the transporters, I got a lock on this. Yes, literally a lock. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was fantastic. I also like he does something with the controls, and I I think I would have understood what he did, but they had to add a little red graphic that said locked. Yeah. Just so you were sure what was going on there. <laughs> no, that was that was fun. And again, O'Brien, you know, we point this out every time. O'Brien had three minutes of screen time and he nailed it. And he shines. Because he's great. Because that's yep. what he does. Yep. Uh, how about you, Matt? Anything else? Um, no, I think that's it. We, I think we've hit all the major talking points for this one. It's a very sort of simple episode. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, even if I had watched this ahead of time like I'm supposed to do, I don't know that I would have had a lot of notes. There's episodes where it's no. just like, this is good, and this is good. Okay, here's a joke. But mostly, yeah. you just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, when Which, I was taking notes to write the recap, or like if if you saw my chicken scratch of notes, about seventy five percent of it is leading up to Timson uh, mentioning the the resolution, and then like the rest of it is just like 
for this scene, this scene, this scene, this scene. It's, yeah. There's not really notes to take on it because it's it's for as far as a recap goes, it's just kind of like these are the overarching points that's happening here. You, there's no real point in me mentioning it. Well, no, there's a lot of emotional stuff happening, but plot wise, the plot kind of runs in place while people mull over what's going on and deal with you know exactly yeah. the serious issues. Mm-hmm. Also, what's interesting, I just realized that neither of these episodes. I mean, apart from the obvious, he's going to end his life. Neither of these episodes had an immediate threat of, uh, you oh, know, yeah. of being killed. Like, that was one of the big things. This show always have to have some some looming danger. There was no looming danger in either of these. There was, a, nope. there was a subtle conspiratorial danger in the first one, and there was this very personal thing in the second one, but it, there wasn't Romulans attacking or, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, there was, there was the looming danger of... Uh... Kalon 2 is going to lose their son, but even that, even I think they said it's still going to take like another like 40 or 50 years for that to happen. Yeah, and again, yeah. those are people from a planet we've never met, we don't care about. We have a face for them there, mm-hmm. but the rest of those guys, eh, whatever. He yeah. he could leave and I don't give a damn about the rest of them. <laughs> no, but it's nice because uh, we've pointed this out before, some really good sort of more thoughtful, more dramatic episodes have been ruined by their you know, directive that they must also have like intense action. And neither of these did. Both of these were very quiet, talky morality plays where everyone sort of explores their feelings and they were both really well done. Yep. Which is nice. And don't get used to that because I I believe coming up, we got some, we got some stinkers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're almost through season four. So there's that. That's true. Yeah. Um, So you got a quote for us, Andy? Uh, Yes, it's uh, from early on in the episode, so it's on the comedic end of things. Uh, It's uh, Loxana giving Deanna some motherly advice. Mother, how much? one, why do you refuse to use telepathy even when we're alone? We're not alone, Mother. Now, how much longer is this going to take? You've been selecting for 20 minutes. I am a woman dressing for a man. Something you might try now and then, dear. I wonder if Timison likes green. That's not very telepathic of you. Oh, I tried telepathy on him. He's the wrong species. <laughs> right species for everything else, though. You might try that once in a while, too. <sighs> you know, you're not just incorrigible. You're insatiable. <laughs> oh, those are always delightful. Yes, especially when it's uh, the it's when especially it's the Benazet ambassador and the holder of the five rings and whatever <laughs> it is that she says, uh, telling her daughter that she needs to get laid more often. Well, I think we can all agree to that. Yeah, and we should watch. <laughs> Did I go too far with that one? I can never tell. Hey, they're the ones who get uh, married. M- in the news. Mother, you know, I, that's you, true. You, you know, Bill is still on the ship, right? Yeah. <laughs> you see the way he smiles. You, you know what that's about, right? Mm-hmm. When they have a, they have a scene on the bridge where. Uh, Loxana comes in, uh, or she's up there and she's hassling Worf, and then Timson comes in, and uh, Timson comes in with uh, Riker and Troy, and so Riker and Troy have uh, they exchange a couple of glances. It's like, uh oh, here goes your mom again. <laughs> here comes this guy again. <laughs> I always love, uh, I always love the idea of Riker being the only person who can sort of handle. Oh, and he does uh, absolutely because they were they were together for a long time, and he knows he knows exactly how to handle her. I think that's great. Yep. All right. Well. Andy, great to have you on. Um, Absolutely. You should come around more often. This is fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> whatever you say, guys. Weird, weirdly, I have, uh, I have, I, I can think of two episodes of Voyager that I'm looking forward to. Well, good. <laughs> no, we need yeah, some help with that. Finding people for that so. We've mentioned that before. We're not necessarily looking forward to that, but if we can bring people on who are excited about the show and who can convince us, 
<laughs> We're willing to be convinced. Seriously, I'm not, I'm, you know, sounds like a joke. I know Kim is a big fan as well. I'd love to hear her thoughts and, uh, you know, sell me on it. Yeah. Show me what I'm missing. Sure thing. All right. Um, as I have mentioned previously, postatomichorror.com now has uh, links that should have been there months ago uh, to our episode guide and our iPhone app, which you should check out. We have coming yep. up a an exciting crossover with the Drunken Time Travel guys. Yes. Wherein we will be discussing, um, <laughs> comparing and contrasting, to put it in ninth grade English terms, uh, Doctor Who and Star Trek. We will be trading uh, an episode that we have handpicked. We will pick a Star Trek episode. They will pick a Doctor Who episode that the other team will uh, review. Mm-hmm. And then we will we will awkwardly try to talk about the well Irish Gav will be fine, but the rest of us will be like, uh, I don't know what the hell's going Doctor on here. Who? Yeah, don't don't please don't make that joke on the show, please. I honestly didn't <laughs> think that was an intentional until I was halfway through. <laughs> All right, but that is coming up, and I would encourage any of you who listen to both. Okay, first of all, I would encourage if you're not listening to their show, please do. It it really is a fantastic. It's show. great, and they started like way back in 1963 with with the first Doctor. Yeah. And they've been around for more than a year, and it's a, it's a fantastic show. It's it's great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Like, and e- even if you only have like a passing interest in Doctor Who, they really they really sell that show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but beyond yeah. that, if you, if you are a listener of both shows and you have any kind of point you want us to address about Doctor Who and Star Trek or any questions or anything, please mm-hmm. send them to us because uh, we would we would love to like between the four of us we can probably think of some stuff, but we'd love to hear different things that we might have missed. Yeah. So, uh, and our, our email is podcast at algar.com, or you can send it to them at, uh, drunken time travel at gmail.com. Yes. So looking forward to that. And that is all for us. Uh, Andy, why don't you take us out on some kind of catchphrase? All right. Uh, and just remember kids, it ain't gambling if you know what you're doing. <laughs> all right. See you folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.